Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 15. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. And it is December. Christmas season is upon us all. So, of course, I'm going to do the... uh, I'm going to do the hack move and uh, do some uh, Christmas movies this month. I mean, I don't really know how many I'm really going to do. I really don't plan too far ahead on most things. Most episodes are done. Like, there's a ton of prep that goes into it. And then when it comes time to record, it's like this mad sprint and then I edit everything really quick and then I put it up online and you know, if people, people like it, cool. You know, I don't have collaborators, you know, it's just me here talking alone, (laughs) but you're listening, whoever you are, you're listening. So um, that's cool. I'm, um, let's see. Well, if you listen to this show, you, you know, from time to time, I'll come across something on the internet where I look at it. It's usually a video of some kind. I'll look at the video and I'll say to myself like this is a representation of our time and sort of an, and usually the video is some sort of abstract, uh, seemingly grotesque video. And the videos are grotesque, but the fact that they exist and can be viewed online is, Sort of a uh, an odd representation of of uh, America of the world, really. And while perusing through uh, efucked.com, which is weird, I, like I don't think I'm necessarily the type of person who goes to efucked.com, but I do find myself there. I actually found myself there in. Uh, <laughs> When I was preparing my first episode, and I was the first episode was rough. I had I watched a lot of really disturbing online uh, videos, and you know it was it was actually kind of got physically ill. Really, just I, I watched so much stuff. I got down a rabbit hole, and by the end of it, I felt exhausted and uh, nauseated really but now I've opened up this I've opened up this portal uh, that you know is this portal that's attached to my reality that I can't close the door to I can just stick my head in from time to time to see what's going on and um of course, the first video I referenced from <laughs> from efucked.com was um, 
uh, a video, and I reference it. <laughs> I I reference it from time to time, just as like a goof. And I was actually on a podcast recently. Um, well, actually, I was in the live chat of a podcast. Like the podcast was already filmed, and you know it was up online, and the hosts were. You know, host, they were, you know, they premiered the show live and then they have a uh, sort of like a live chat with their audience. And this is on, on YouTube and, and I'm sitting there chatting with people and, um, you know, I kind of felt out of place uh, in the live chat, you know, because everyone there sort of knows each other and there's a lot of like inside jokes and things going on and. So at the basically towards the end of the show, everyone in the live chat is like saying their like goodbyes to each other, like "Oh, great show, guys! You know, we'll see you next time," and uh, yada yada yada. And and then I, <laughs> the last thing I I put, I contributed to the chat was Google the following maximum capacity efucked.com and the, the just the video maximum capacity had such an impact on me where I it's you watch it and it's so impactful because it tells a very specific story that is that leaves you asking so many questions. <laughs> um, and I, I definitely, uh, I recently watched a video on 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 Efucked. Uh, the video is entitled "38 Years Without Ejaculation." 38 Years Without Ejaculation, that's the title of the video. And I'm sure if you Google 38 Years Without Ejaculation, that video will appear in your search engine of, of choice. And what it is, is a video of a man. Uh, he's shot from about, you know, the neck down. And so you never see his face. And he removes his uh, shirt and then drops his pants. And you could see in his underwear that there is a massive something going on in the front of his underwear. And when he removes his underwear, you can see that this man has enormous testicles massive like he it requires his whole hand to hold one of them so he's holding both balls one in each hand and um the video's title sets it up very well it doesn't uh it doesn't have that sort of enticing sort of uh vague 
don't know, rascally title that a lot of online videos have that have become very well known, right? Like two girls, one cup, which I'm not a fan of. I don't, I'm not a fan of two girls, one cup. And then there's like uh, the famous Luca Magnato, uh, one lunatic, one ice pick. There's uh, three guys, one hammer, also referred to, um, also known as two guys, one hammer. Depend, you know, depends on where you see it, I suppose. And and then even stuff before that, like you know, lemon party or. <laughs> All that sort of silly stuff. And um, that's so dismissive of like three guys, one hammer. Oh, silly video. <laughs> uh, I just realized how absurd that sounds. Anyways, in this video, um, the guy has giant balls. And, um, and then it cuts to him... Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe in the same room. I don't know. And he's uh, masturbating. And when the man ejaculates, it is reminiscent of the Jorg Bucharite film Necromantic. If you've ever seen the final scene or the final... Uh, final few minutes of uh, necromantic um, of that film it is uh, very similar though um, it's real it's actually real and um, after seeing that video I was it's one of those things where uh, I don't talk about the news very much and But I, I do absorb, um, I do absorb news to some degree or another, and I already have a, a you know, a fairly structured worldview. Uh, but then I see videos like this, and I think to myself, this video, and. What you see on the screen that is uh, purported to be a, a news information, you know, information to help guide your life, and uh, <laughs> they live in the same world, like they're attached. They are attached, and there's something in between silence my phone how rude of me i know better than that these two videos are attached okay and the the thing that connects the two it's sort of like the the sort of invisible indescribable primordial goo that attaches mainstream news with videos like 38 years without ejaculation. There's this, it's almost like a magnet attaching to a refrigerator. 
like before the magnet makes contact with the refrigerator and locks into place, there is a force in the middle that's invisible, but it exists. And it's in that middle force where my brain exists. Okay? You watch a video like 38 Years Without Ejaculation, or you watch, uh, you know, Maximum Capacity, and um, you see the surface-level shock of what it is, but there's something behind what you're seeing. Like, this video didn't just happen. It's not like... Uh, watching a video of, say, a car crash or, you know, um, an animal attack, something sudden and it just happens. There, there was, there were circumstances that brought, that brought the person, the, the viewer, the person who turned on the camera to film what they're looking at. You know, the, the something, a lot, things had to happen before you, we got to that point. And that's the stuff I'm interested in. And if you ever find yourself perusing the internet or social media and you find, you find yourself feeling empty and alone and detached Take, take a step back, take a breath, and go watch 38 Years Without Ejaculation, and it'll sort of like restart your brain. You know, it's like if you're in a NASCAR traveling down the track, and then you speed, you know, and stop suddenly at the, at the, in the, in the pit, and your pit crew's working on the car, filling the gas, cleaning the windshield, you know, giving the driver water, changing the tires. And they're doing it very quickly. But imagine they're instead. <laughs> um, imagine instead they're, you know, smearing Vaseline on the windshield. And, and and feeding the driver methamphetamines um, and bath salts and lighting the car on fire and saying, go, finish the race. Then you'll feel alive. You, f- you can't help but feel alive in that situation. Christmas films. There are many Christmas films. And the ones that are beloved and worshipped and have become um, as attached to the holiday as as Santa Claus himself. Um, but I'm going to talk about one Christmas film today. I'm not going to do some kind of insane deep dive into Christmas films and um, 
But I, I'm gonna. I want to talk about a film from 1980 called Christmas Evil, also known as You Better Watch Out, which was its original title. And this movie, on its surface, seems goofy. It seems. Um, I don't know, it's like a, a glib and whatever. Like it doesn't seem like it's a uh, it's a a masterpiece, but it 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 actually is. It's uh, it's on some level genuinely disturbing, and I've heard people uh, compare it to like Taxi Driver. But I don't think it's, I see what they mean, but I don't think that's an apt comparison. Um, I've heard it, um, and I agree with this, I, I, I've heard it compared to uh, The Joker. And I, I, can, I can see that. I could see how it's, you know, you follow this one character that uh, is unwell- in the head and realizes that in finding a persona that actually gets a reaction out of people in a persona where they feel empowered, they can, they could lash out at the world. Like they have the power to lash out against the world. And I could see the comparisons with the Joker. Um, I also, I find similarities with the Robin Williams film One Hour Photo, which is a very disturbing movie. It's it's not a gory film. It's not a bloody film. Um, there's it's a very quiet, methodical, slow moving film. And in the moments of stillness. And quiet, the movie's able to access the part of your brain that makes the thing in your brain that makes you genuinely uncomfortable, and it's able to poke at it. It's almost like it sneaks into your brain and fucks with you on a level that you weren't planning on. So you feel violated in some way that you can't express and you know there's there's two types of crazy people in movies right there's um, there's the sort of people pretending to be crazy and you know just like and then there's people who seem legitly crazy <laughs> that's 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 the best way i can put it in the most like reductive way because there's there's people like um you know you watch like a like a rob zombie movie you watch like house of a thousand corpses or something where there's just like like over the top loud crazy 
flailing crazy people. And then you have like the literal opposite. You have like Hannibal Lecter who when you first see Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, he's standing in the center of his cell perfectly still. And he barely moves the entire first exchange he has with Clary Starling. He stands perfectly still. And for, I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, to the point where Anthony Hopkins basically didn't blink the entire scene. Sort of like this, like not moving and not blinking and being inhumanly calm is way more disturbing than if Hannibal Lecter was pacing back and forth in his cell like a caged monkey and gritting his teeth and shaking his fists and, and you know, it's... You know, it's like it's like multiple MIGs in the next cell jerking off. Like that's 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 the best comparison. You know, there's he's like crazy. You 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 can tell that he is crazy guy climbing the bars of his cell and throwing cum at people. That's one type of crazy. And then you go to the very next cell, and it's like this complete other level of crazy. But in your mind, you know they're both crazy. Um. So, a uh, Christmas Evil, nineteen eighty, which was a one of the infamous video nasty films over in jolly old England. Video nasties list was um seventy two films that were essentially banned. They were illegal. They were contraband. You could not own a copy or sell or reproduce or publicly show any of these films without rather government edits of the film and all sorts of things. Uh, there's, there's actually, there's actually several documentaries about the whole video nasties debacle and it's it's fascinating um so if you want to look more into that you can just look that up there's there's plenty of stuff on the videos nasties list that exists in the world so yeah christmas evil originally titled you better watch out uh all and then once it went to video it became uh it went also by um tear and toyland i like christmas evil christmas evil's that's a pretty good title. It's memorable. You you better watch out. It's pretty good too. But and um, let's see, directed by Lewis Jackson and starring Brandon Maggart. Maggart, Maggart. I'm gonna say Maggart. And he's the main character, and he's fantastic. I've never seen him in anything else, but. Brandon Maggart is our lead character, and he's actually Fiona Apple's dad in real life. That's a random factoid for you. And also, uh, Brandon Maggart, uh, his his brother in the film is uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, 
who you may know as Dale from The Walking Dead. And um, he's also in a bunch of Frank Darabont movies. Uh, he was in Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile and the, uh, the Majestic. He was in The Mist. And he was also in uh, the 1988 remake of The Blob, which uh, Frank Darabont uh, co-wrote. And when you see him, you'll recognize him immediately, except he's, like, younger. But, he, but he's always had, like, shitty like Jack Torrance from the shining hair. Like, (laughs) yeah, he's, he basically plays a, a man obsessed with Santa Claus who eventually dons a Santa Claus suit and goes on a murder rampage. That's basically what the movie's about. And the copy that I have is is great. It has uh, one. Well, it you know it looks great, and there's actually a uh, director commentary with um, the director and uh, uh, Lewis Jackson, and with uh, John Waters, because apparently John Waters is a giant fan of the film. And has played Christmas Evil at many uh, Christmas parties that he hosts. So I thought that was pretty cool. So our main character, Harry, who's been obsessed with Santa Claus since he was a child. um, One Christmas 33 years ago. So so we, we, we start in the past. And Harry and his brother Phil are, and their mother, are waiting to for Santa to come down the chimney. And Santa indeed comes down the chimney, delivers presents, and Harry believed it was completely real. His brother Phil just knew immediately it was just his dad dressed up as Santa Claus, but Harry was awestruck. It was just it's like, wow, Santa Claus really came to our house, and I got to see it. How cool! But again, it wasn't it wasn't Santa Claus. It was Harry and Phil's dad dressed up as Santa. And later that night, Harry gets out of bed, as kids do. They get out of bed, and He goes to wander downstairs and he finds Santa, a.k.a. his dad, still in a Santa costume. uh, Getting ready to perform some oral sex on his mother. How traumatizing. This obviously traumatizes Harry seeing St. Nicholas chomping down on uh, his mom's box. That's, that's hor- that'd be horrifying to anybody. Um, there's definitely like an Oedipus complex Santa obsession, possible OCD thing going on. So they established earlier on the kid was 
like his brain was fucked at an early age and it um, now we can fast forward through time to modern day and we can really begin our story. Uh, so Harry, now an adult, uh, works at a toy factory, uh, recently promoted to a managerial position that he hates and uh, he's a total pushover. He's frequently taken advantage of by coworkers and well, now people who are, you know, subordinate to him and they don't respect him. And because he's a pushover, not because he's some sort of tyrannical asshole boss, you know, um, Harry lives alone. He has a, um, I believe it's an apartment might be a house, but it looks like a an apartment. And he he lives alone, and his apartment is a shrine to Santa Claus. There's memorabilia that adores the walls of 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 his of his place, and you know the the scene opens up where. Harry sleeps in pajamas that look like a Santa Claus outfit. So the dude's really into Santa Claus. And the fact that he lives alone and this is sort of like his little Santa Claus sanctuary is, I mean, and there's not much dialogue in this sort of opening. You just are watching a dude living in his apartment with all of his Santa shit. <laughs> and you can tell that it, this is where he's the most happy. Like he doesn't smile much in the movie at all, but when he's home, he does. Um, so, <laughs> so they, uh, the movie establishes that like Harry really loves Santa Claus and he starts doing Santa Claus things for instance he spies on neighborhood kids and keeps detailed journals of their behavior he has large coffee table book sized <laughs> like leather bound journals uh, that details the behavior of naughty children and nice children and it appears that he's been doing this for years. He's, you know, he's writing in one book, but you can see the bookshelf behind him. And it's just like years prior of just years of him spying on children and keeping records of their naughty or nice behavior. So that, you know, and all of this is with like no dialogue. So it paints a pretty clear picture of who this guy is and sort of the what he might become. I will say uh, Harry never harms a child um, in the movie. So there's there's nothing like that. And I mean, that's fucking par for the course for movies like horror movies at this time like it's 
no one's really harming like little kids. Like they'll kill teenagers who are trying to fuck at a summer camp. Like the movies were doing that, but you know, like little kids, there wasn't much showing of things like that in you know horror films or slasher films back in the day. But um, but his desire to monitor the behavior of young children has very obvious, creepy, threatening subtext. Uh, Harrier's brother, Phil, is established as the more stable of the two brothers, and um, he's happily married. He has two young boys and a nice home. He's not fully aware of Harry's obsession, but has always known that Harry as an awkward loner. And in one scene film, one scene in the film, uh, Phil explains to his wife that his frustration with his brother, uh, he refers to Harry as an emotional cripple and, explains to his wife that as the younger sibling, he always wanted uh, an older brother to look up to. And he feels like he never had that. Like he had to be the more stable, mature of the two. And all he wanted was someone to look up to. So as the weeks wind down to Christmas, Harry's transformation, uh, really kicks into high gear uh, with a custom Santa suit. There's a whole scene of him making his Santa suit to look like Catwoman and Batman Returns. <laughs> you, you didn't know he had all this, uh, you know, sewing uh, knowledge, but uh, apparently he does. He makes himself a nice, snazzy Santa Claus uh, suit. And he even has his own creepy kidnapper van. A creepy white Econo line kidnapper van that he paints uh, like a Santa like a Santa sleigh mural on the side <laughs> And you know, uh, and then finally he puts on his new Santa suit and he steals a van full of toys from the toy factory and armed with a a candy cane striped handled hatchet and a sword wielding toy soldier. He heads out into the night. First, he breaks into one of the good kids homes. One of the good kids in the neighborhood. He breaks into the kid's house in the middle of the night, and delivers presents. Like, fills the bottom of the tree with gifts. Then he moves on to a church, and presumably to confront his boss and one of his cronies who's attending the like Christmas Eve mass. And they set up that, you know, there's a Christmas party, and Harry runs into his his boss and he doesn't like his boss. He, you know, finds the people who run the toy factory to be sort of like greedy and they don't care about children's happiness. And it's all about money. And 
which that's what businesses are about. <laughs> but Harry has this perception that like it's the happiness of the children that matters. And it's all this sort of greedy corporate white man shit is not good. And there must be, there must be punishment for, for this. So he goes to this church and, um, his, you think he's going to attack his, his boss, but instead there's, everyone's coming out of church and these kind of, uh, snooty, yuppie, you know, college age, uh, kids, not even really kids really. But then again, back in, back in those days, like, a 19-year-old looked 35 years old. So who knows how old they actually were. Um, he attacks some... He attacks these yuppie kids coming out of a church who walked up to him and were mildly annoying. So they're tr- for their trouble for mildly annoying uh, Harry, Harry stabs out one of their eyes with a sword-wielding toy soldier. Which they establish earlier on. He w- he had like a he was in his garage and he had like a what is it like a kiln? Is that what it is? He basically forged out of steel this like like a like a metal toy soldier like holding a sword. <laughs> And then paints it up to make it look like that, you know. And he stabs one of these yuppie kids with the toy soldier, with the you know, with his with the sword. And it's something out of a Lucio Fulci movie or something. Like he stabs out the guy's eye, and it's like this close up, and the eye like spews out green goo and. You know, it's it, it looks like Ghostbuster toothpaste. It's, it's hilarious. And then he draws out his hatchet and then finishes off three of the four uh, fucking, you know, three out of the four fucking yuppie kids. You know, and in front of in front of all these people coming out of a church and the crowd freaks out. And Harry jumps into his uh, Santa van and speeds off, you know, and, you know, he's, and then there's just three dead bodies in front of this church now. Uh, later, he's walking past a Christmas party. And he gets spotted by a couple of guys in the party. They see Santa Claus walking down the street and they run out and grab him and be like, oh, you got to come into our party, Santa Claus. And. And one of the guys was uh, the actor who played uh, Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad. Uh, he's also Alberto the Shadow uh, from Scarface. He's the guy who, like in Scarface, where uh, when Sosa sends Tony out to assassinate um, that one dude and they... And then they put a bomb underneath the guy's car, and then they have to follow behind the guy's car, and they can't 
detonate it until his car pulls up in front of the UN building. Okay, so Sosa's guy, the guy with the fucking bomb, and fucking Tony's like, "You die, motherfucker! Like you want to kill? You want to kill? You want to kill a uh, a mother and her two kids? Fucking you know that whole fucking thing." And he shoots the guy in the face. The guy he shoots in the face is the guy who fucking <laughs> runs out of the party and is like, "Hey, Santa Claus, come into our fucking party!" And he gets brought in the party and. He actually, he actually just comp- entertains the entire party. They sing and they dance and they have drinks and it's a good old time. And for some reason, there's uh, little kids there. And then he gives this speech where he's like, if you know, if you're good and you listen to your teachers and your parents and he's like, I will bring you gifts. I'll bring you gifts every year. He's like, but you, if you don't, I'll bring you something terrible. I'll, stab you in the fucking eye or you know he scares the shit out of these kids and it's it's in a a hilarious hilarious scene and and then he dips out he leaves the party like you know good night everyone merry christmas (laughs) and then he fucking leaves and then oh real quick uh the mom from malcolm in the middle has like a has like a cameo in this movie and uh she plays one of like the bad kids. He there's like one bad kid in the neighborhood, and she plays the mom of the bad kid. And um, of course, Brian Cranston was the dad in Malcolm in the Middle, who went on to star in Breaking Bad. Boom! There you go. Tied it all together. Tied it all together. There is a Breaking Bad, Malcolm in the Middle chain of actors in this film. And uh, in case you don't understand the chain, there was the mom from Malcolm Middle. There's fucking Brian Cranston. And then Hector Salamanca was in Breaking Bad with Brian Cranston. Um, did you know Fiona Apple wrote a bunch of anti-Trump songs back in like 2017? She she had like a, she had a song called Tiny Hands, and uh, a song called uh, and it was around Christmas time. It was around you know after uh, Trump won the election, and she had a song called Trump's Nuts Roasting on an Open Fire, <laughs> and and it was like a, it was like a song in honor of the famous uh, uh, pussy hat wearing women's march. Uh, what's more surprising is uh, uh, that Fiona Apple is still making dumb music after uh, as as recently as 2017. So, um, so Fiona Apple's dad, Harry, uh, aka Santa Claus, he breaks into a coworker's house. They set up earlier that the guy's house he's breaking into, um, like tricked slash bullied Harry into covering his, his, like, one of his work shifts, uh, like, a night shift before the guy had to go on vacation with his family. There And there wasn't, the, the guy was basically like, oh, I, I have, like, a family thing, and, and he basically kind of, like, bullies Harry into covering his shifts, but there was no family thing. He he just wanted to you know get the night off so we can go get shit face at a local bar and 
you know, they establish they establish that they 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 show Harry coming out of the toy factory after covering this dude's shift, and he's walking past that bar, and he's walking past the bar, and, and Harry looks in the window, and he can see the fucking guy whose shift he covered. He's sitting in there getting fucking hammered with all of his toy factory fucking uh, co-workers and shit. And, and uh, it's great. He's like, I got that schmuck Harry covering my fucking shift tonight. And they all laugh and have a good time. And, and Harry doesn't take kindly to that. So, because that's naughty behavior. You don't lie. Lying is bad. So... <laughs> Um, so Harry breaks into this guy's house and this, I mean, this can't end well, right? So, um, I just want to say that for every, a lot of people have covered and reviewed this, this movie and for all the like moron hack reviewer man babies who are too fucking retarded to understand this movie, uh, listen up. Listen up, a real fucking man who reviews movies fucking speaking to you, boy. Everything in this movie is set up and paid off. Everything. There's a cause and effect to everything that Harry does. Um, it may, there's, there may be things that seem random to people who can't pay attention to anything that's not on Disney Plus or the length of a TikTok video, but trust me, everything in this movie is set up and paid off. Everything has a conclusion. Like nothing just happens for no fucking reason. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect Christmas film. Okay. So you can take your fucking diehard, Christmas watch party and kick rocks, nerd. Okay. Um, so Harry breaks in the dude's house and tries to um, smother him to death with his like Santa sack of gifts. Not his enlarged testicles like in 38 Years Without Ejaculation. That would be funny though if it revealed that like Harry's. Santa gut under his suit is in fact giant testicles. And then he just drops them on a guy's face and suffocates him in his sleep. That, that would make the movie even, even better. That might bump it up a point or two on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So, So he, he tries to smother guy, the guy to death while he's laying in bed asleep next to his wife, by the way. And the dude's struggling to get free and everything like that. And um, Harry realizes that he's not going to be able to smother him to death with the sack. So he pulls the sack off and the guy sits up in bed. And Harry brilliantly improvises in the moment. Harry pulls the star off the top of a nearby Christmas tree. The guy has like a, a little Christmas tree in his bedroom and he pulls the star off the top of it and slits the dude's throat with it. <laughs> Genius. He's a killer Santa 
who uses Christmas related weapons to kill his victims. Fucking fantastic. So the next day is Christmas day and Phil and his wife are at their home and they're watching the news and the news is detailing all these murders that took place the night before. Also, there's no trace of Harry and Phil is completely worried about his, his brother's whereabouts because Phil wants to have Harry in his life. He understands his brother's like this troubled loner guy and you know, he wants to, he wants Harry to feel part of the family, part of his family, you know, so all these murders happen, you know, he can't get a hold of his brother. He's, he's, you know, understandably concerned. So they're watching the news, you know, there's uh, no trace of Harry and, and f- you can tell he suspects you can, you can tell Phil suspects that Harry is committing these crimes, but he doesn't say it out loud. But you can tell he's like, he suspects. And so there's a, there's a whole scene where uh, I'm fast forwarding a bit. I've been fast forwarding this whole time. You know, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm not going to detail the entire fucking movie. Okay. Uh, so basically there's this scene where Harry gets chased out of a neighborhood by like a mob uh, with torches, all these parents and people in this neighborhood, you know, uh, corner him and they have, you know, they have literal torches like they're chasing fucking Frankenstein's monster. And it turns out that this is the same neighborhood that Phil lives in. And, Harry shows up at Phil's doorstep and this is, you know, Christmas night. Uh, He shows up at Phil's doorsteps. He's all fucking disheveled and covered in blood and in a fucking Santa suit. And, you know, fucking Phil was like, Jesus Christ, get in the fucking house. He's like, how many fucking people did you kill? I knew it was you this entire time. What the fuck is wrong with you? And when, Phil asks, like, why he became a mass murdering Santa Claus. Uh, Harry's reason is that he wanted to prove to Phil that Santa was, in fact, real. Even as a child, which is established in the beginning, Phil didn't believe in Santa Claus. So Harry was basically blaming Phil for all the murders and mayhem because Harry believed he was doing good by becoming Santa Claus, but because people like Phil exist and they often cross him, then he's got to kill people. Cause that's just what you got to do. Right. He wants to, he wants to be a good Santa, but being Santa empowers Harry to kill. 
power corrupts and, you know, that whole thing. So Phil's like, I'm not accepting that as a fucking excuse. You know, you can't put this shit on me. And then fucking Phil grabs him by Harry by the throat and just starts choking him in just out of furious anger. And, um, <laughs> like Harry gets choked out and Phil drags him out to his fucking Santa van and throws him in the van. And there's like a little, there's like a minute or two there where you're like, did Phil just kill Harry? <laughs> like, did he just choke him to death? But then like, um, Harry wakes up and then punches Phil in the face and then takes off in his murder van. And Phil gets up and chases the van on foot. Even, you know, even after this, these, this violent brotherly uh, outburst towards each other, he still wants to protect his brother to some extent. And Phil's chasing the van on foot and he, the van is passing by, like driving towards the torch wielding mob. And it's, it's that moment you realize like, oh my God, he was in Phil's neighborhood the whole time. And. You know, he's now he's driving towards the mob and he Harry swerves the van to avoid hitting the mob. And he smashes through a guardrail on the side of the road and blows through this chain link fence. The neighborhood is on a cliff also for some reason. And the van goes flying off, flying off the cliff and in midair. The van magically takes flight like Santa's sleigh and flies off into the night, leaving the torch-wielding mob and Phil completely dumbfounded. And Harry's dumbfounded. He's like, oh my God, my fucking (laughs) murder van turned into Santa's sleigh and I'm going to fly off into the night, presumably back to the North Pole. It's a Christmas miracle. You didn't see it coming at all. It's a surprise ending and fade to black. The end. Harry escapes and lives to kill another day. And that was Christmas Evil. I highly recommend it. And, um, you know, it's December and people are watching all their Christmas movies. So Christmas evil, you should fit that one in there. You know, people, people love Christmas horror movies. Like, you know, like, uh, like silent night, deadly night has gained quite the, uh, cult following just in the past few years and stuff. And, and deservedly. So it's those the first Silent Night, Deadly Night is really great. The second one is like, it's pretty bad, but it's also pretty good too. So, <laughs> um, what else? Oh Lord. Well, there's, there's new movies coming out soon. That's pretty neat, right? I'm, uh, I saw the trailer for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's what they're calling the movie. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So it's a sort of a reboot. It's it's 
supposed to be a sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But they call it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Why do you not just call it Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? What's the point of going on a press tour and telling people, oh, this is a direct sequel to the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Why don't you know why just why call it Texas Chainsaw Massacre then? That's confusing. Just call it Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And people would say, Adam, there's already a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. People will be confused thinking that maybe it's a reboot of the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And I would agree with you completely. I'm not saying any of it makes any fucking sense. In fact, it's horrible and annoying. And having to watch reboots every fucking year of <laughs> better movies is absolutely uh, uh, angering. Um, I don't know. Someone who's in charge of naming movies is an unoriginal ass. I'll just leave it at that. Um, so I, I, I can't wait to watch this movie. It's, it sounds fantastic. The trailer looks, the trailer is very like, it doesn't give much away, which I do appreciate. And it's, it's going to suck me in into watching it, but it's, uh, it's going to be on Netflix in February, February 18th on Netflix. Check it out. Another fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Sweet. Um, I did sense a little like, like. You know how, like, some movie will come out and it'll say, like, such and such director presents, you know, and then there's the movie. It's like Tim Burton presents A Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's not a, it's not a Tim Burton movie. But people, everyone thinks it is, but it's not. And there's been a few things like that. I think Wes Craven had, Wes Craven presents this fucking movie and it's actually some other director no one's heard of. You know, maybe that helps give them the rub, make people want to watch it. I know that, uh, was it Fetty Alvarez, the guy who did, uh, what should I call it? Didn't he write Get Out or Don't Breathe? Something like that. Uh, I mean, Fetty Alvarez is supposed to be completely legit, but I think it's one of those things where he wrote the a draft of one of the scripts, but now they have this, the guy who actually wrote the screenplay is just some random dude who I looked at his IMDb. That motherfucker literally started working in film in 2019. <laughs> Once again, they just hand over a, a, a well-known beloved franchise to just some randos. Good idea, guys. Uh, well, now, uh, let's see. Well, let's see. Now that we we have a new Matrix movie coming out, Major Matrix Resurrection. You know, and they're kind of trickling out trailers, and uh, that's coming out this month. It's coming out on the twenty second of December, and I think I'm gonna try to drag my mother in law to go see that. 
I definitely want to see it. Um, but you know, you look at the trailer and it's like, wow, um, this movie has a bunch of generic bland people of diverse colors. And, I don't know. This newest trailer basically is like, okay, um, there's, if you saw the original trailer, there's like, like Neo is sitting in this office with this, uh, generic white dude in a suit and he's like, oh, wow, we're, we're back to where it started. The matrix. And okay. So that guy. Uh, just watching the newest trailer, they they basically established that that guy might be Agent Smith, but now he's in a different body within the Matrix. I guess I, I don't know. He may I don't know if that's I don't know. But <laughs> and then there's like a Morpheus guy who I think that's supposed to be Morpheus, but it's like he's in another body. And it looks like there's another Oracle, but it's in another person's body. And I don't know. It's like you couldn't get Hugo Weaving to be in this fucking movie. I get he's old as fuck and probably not interested in learning fucking like wire kung fu again. But it's the Matrix. Can't you just make it look like he's fighting you know, Neo, you know, it's, it's, you can make it look like he's fighting fucking Big Bird if you wanted to. I know, maybe Hugo Weaving's um, busy, but he's just, Hugo Weaving is just the, a superior actor. You know? It appears you've been living two lives, Mr. Anderson. One of these lives has a future. The other does not. Fucking brilliant, dude. I don't know. I'm going to watch Matrix Resurrection anyway. So, you know, we'll just stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Skeleton Factory reviewing Matrix Resurrection. I don't know. I'll probably just gloss right by it like I did just now. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do a minute and a half fucking review of the Matrix Resurrection and a minute of that minute and a half is me just talking about how cool Point Break was or something. I don't know. Anyways, uh, I want to talk about, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't re- I don't really have segments to this show. It's very not as structured as it sounds. But I, I wanted to talk about, uh, real quick, uh, I watch a lot of movies during the week, and, you know, you watch enough movies and you kind of feel that there's, you kind of pick up on themes, like, you'll watch movies that, like, you know, have similar themes or tone to it, and, you know, it's like, I don't pick movies that are similar like sometimes i'll just watch a bunch of movies i'm like wow those were actually very similar in a lot of ways and one that i noticed this week uh, i'm gonna call this uh movies to come down off of drugs too so uh are you hung over dehydrated sleep deprived 
Have you spent all of your paychecks on cocaine? Have you been doing amyl nitrates in the dark with strangers? Do you want to watch something dark and weird and slow as fuck? Something not dialogue heavy and kind of boring, but in service of making you think about what you've just watched while you're standing in line to get a McGriddle at McDonald's? Do you want to watch something that's that like turns your TV into a, a painting on the wall? You know, one of those movies that's on in the background while you're doing something else, like jerking off to porn on your phone or, you know, uh, eating a bowl of Reese's Pieces cereal without milk. You're just eating handfuls of it out of the box. Then here's a list of movies for you. Okay, so two movies I watched this this week that um, I feel fit into this type of category. And one is a film called Trouble Every Day from 2001. It's written directed by Claire Denise and it's this movie is a very good example of people rather think it's the biggest piece of pretentious dog shit ever or people love it. It's one or the other. Um, I guess that's not true. <laughs> there is a middle ground and I, I kind of, I'm, I'm in the middle somewhere. Like uh, I, I like the movie a lot, but I also feel like it's, deliberately underwritten and um, but it's one of those things where like after I watched it I was thinking about it later and what I concluded is okay here's basically the entire movie right here ready here we go let me see if I can do this my brain only has one cup of coffee in it so I'm going to try to just bang through trouble every day right now ready okay there's Two American newlyweds who are traveling to Paris, and uh, what's what's that motherfucker's name? Uh, the dude from Buffalo '66. The guy gets his dick sucked in Brown Bunny. What? I know people are yelling his name at me right now. Vincent Gallo. So Vincent Gallo and his wife they are coming in from the United States, and they're they're newlyweds, and they're going on their honeymoon in Paris, right? And the entire time, like, Vincent Gallo has, like, headaches and he can't fucking sleep. And he just seems uh, uncomfortable and he looks nauseous the entire time. And he's always rubbing his forehead and, you know, and his wife's like, yay, we're going to Paris. <laughs> so they get to Paris and then you find out that he had ulterior motives of going to Paris. He he is a, a doctor, Vincent Gallo. He's a doctor from America, and he's actually trying to find this, like, genius doctor guy who he was doing all this experimental research at one point, and then he sort of, like, just vanished off the face of the earth. Well, he's going to find this guy, and he goes to all these labs and hospitals and talks to people who've worked with him and be like, do you know where the guy is? And you can tell that there's people covering for him. They're just like, uh, we haven't seen him. He fucking just packed up one day and left and he never left a number or anything like that. So at some point he ends up 
getting one of these like lab technician people to give him an address of where this guy lives. And you're not exactly sure why he wants to get a hold of him. So meanwhile, it cuts to establishing who that guy is. This doctor dude who has a wife who seduces and cannibalizes men. She lures them in like, hey, you want to fuck? And then fucking they fuck and then she kills them. She she basically eats them to death. And the husband knows that there's something wrong with his wife, but he like covers up the murders for her because it's his wife. He's trying to protect her, but he knows there's something wrong with her. And he's got this big house in Paris and he fucking basically keeps his wife locked up in there when he's away at work. So he's basically stopped doing research and now he's just kind of like a general, general practitioner guy. You know, people come into his office and they're like, oh, I have, you know, my feet hurt or my fucking, I have a scab on my elbow and there's a mole growing out of it. Should I be worried about that? Like, no, he's doing kind of boring doctor work now. And basically you find out that, uh, also they set up that there's this maid that works at the hotel because they're on their honeymoon and they're staying at a hotel and there's this kind of like broke, uh, kind of young woman who's like a maid there, you know? So basically they, Vincent Gallo knows there's something wrong with the dude's wife. And then when he goes to finally gets to the guy's house, um, he gets there right after the wife just murdered a couple of like teenager guys who were actually just trying to break in and rob the house. He, she like seduces one of them, fucks him, and then fucking like rips his tongue out and bites out his throat and paints the walls with his blood. And, um, Vincent Gallo eventually shows up. She's covered in blood and she's playing with fucking matches. And he just immediately, like she tries to bite him and he was like, I don't think so, bitch. And he just fucking chokes her to death. Um, in the middle of the kitchen, you know, the match she was holding drops, sets the kitchen ablaze. Now the house is on fucking fire. Vincent Gallo kills her bounces. And then like the husband comes home afterward and is like, Oh fuck. My wife's covered in blood. She clearly just killed someone again. And now my fucking house is on fire. So Vincent Gallo goes back to the hotel. He showers up and then uh, him and his wife try to fuck. And uh, he just can't fuck because, you know, probably because he just murdered somebody. (laughs) And then, uh, oh, also they set up that um, Vincent Gallo, like, fucks. Well, he, he basically rapes and murders the the uh, maid at the hotel in the same way that that dude's wife was murdering people. Like, he had sex with her body and then killed her and, like, bit her to death. So he showers up and his wife comes in. She's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, I feel great. Like, we should go back to America now. She's like, wonderful. I love you, honey. I love you, too. Mm-hmm. The end. That's the whole movie. And, you know, there's a lot of empty space uh, between everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. But after the fact, I'm like, okay, I think Vincent Gallo is sick and they established he has like a big bag full of pills that he takes. And so, and I think it was a thing where he has the same like cannibal disease that that dude's wife has. And he's been trying to suppress it with drugs and, you know, and just sheer will willpower. So, that's why he just looks miserable and ill the entire movie. He's just fighting off the urge to fucking uh, 
ferociously rape and fucking eat people. <laughs> so when I kind of thought about it after the fact, I was like, this is sort of like a, it's kind of a zombie movie, but like in the way that like, uh, like 28 days later, 28 weeks later is, or anthropophagus where it's like, it's not like people rising from the dead and mindlessly just trying to eat brains. It's not like that. It's like they treat it like it's some sort of disease. The cannibalism is a, is a, is a disease. And, uh, let's see what's that. There's a John Saxon film called cannibal apocalypse. That's like this, like he's this, he was in Vietnam and his homeboy, uh, gets captured by the Viet Cong and torture and shit. But then he ends up like resorting, like resorting to cannibalism to survive sort of thing. And, and then, but he gets some sort of disease from doing it. And actually the guy who plays John Saxon's buddy is the dude who gets his dick cut off from cannibal Ferox. Some Italian actor dude whose name I can't remember right now, but he's good. He's real good. Um, But those types of movies, and Anthropophagus is like this too, where, you know, it's like a guy who gets stranded on a boat and resorts to eating his family to stay alive. But in doing that, he becomes this, like his, his brain is shattered and he becomes like this monster that wants to consume flesh and fuck. So it's kind it's kind of like an origin story to those types of movies. And I think the people who pan trouble every day and thinks it's underwritten, pretentious and retarded, like those people haven't watched those movies, you know, movies that are not like a clear cut George Romero zombie movie. It's more of like, like it's more clinical than that. And the movie, like it's one of those movies where like, you could probably walk out of the room, <laughs> make yourself a sandwich and come back and you probably didn't miss much because the, like the key plot points are very spread apart. You know, it's a very slow burn of a movie. It's like a audition or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I, I was actually very hungover when I watched it and I was barely paying attention to it. So, um, if you uh, are also like that, or maybe you're just like uh, a recluse who's mildly depressed and listen to listens to the Bauhaus a lot, <laughs> you know, maybe Trouble Every Day is the movie for you. Good luck finding it. It's fucking hard to find. Jesus Christ. It's not streaming anywhere. Like, if you find a hard copy, you better have an all-region DVD player or some shit. I had to find it on a very sketchy website, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Trouble every day. <laughs> Check it out. It's also a Frank Zappa song. Trouble every day. Um, what else? Um, well, there was one last movie and it's a much more well-known, um, quite a bit more, I guess, mainstream of a movie. Sort of. And that would be 1995's Dead Man, directed by Jim Jarmusch, who looks like, uh, I don't know, uh, he looks like he's one of the Bogdanoff twins. 
except without plastic surgery. And he's got big hair. Basically, it's a it's a black and white western. It's been described by Jim Jarmusch as like a psychedelic western, and it's very it's a very weird, slow paced movie. And let's see, let's see if I can just power through Dead Man really quick. Ready? Here we go. Johnny Depp is an accountant taking a train to uh, from Cleveland, rather. And he takes a job at this, uh, this like machine company in this, um, actually in a town called Machine. Um, but it's basically there's this company where he gets a letter to become the uh, accountant there, and he spends all his money to fucking get there. Just to when he gets there, they're like, "Oh yeah, we already filled the position." And he's like, "I spent all my money to get here, and <laughs> what am I supposed to do now?" And they're basically like, "Fuck off," and then. He ends up uh, hooking up with some, um, I guess, prostitute chick, I guess. And uh, actually, she might not even be a prostitute. I don't know. He he basically hooks up with her, and then you find out that her ex-boyfriend comes back into town and, like, walks into her place and sees that she's been fucking banging Johnny Depp, which would be upsetting to anybody, I think. And he ends up shooting her, and then Johnny Depp shoots him. And now he great, he's a murderer. But now it looks like the story goes that people think that Johnny Depp killed both of these people and stole their the dude's horse and then fucking is on the run now. So now he's a fugitive from the law and then he comes across this Native American dude named Nobody. And Nobody is sort of like is He's gonna he's gonna guide Johnny Depp through the West to get to the Pacific Ocean, basically, and along the way they come across. Um, well, he's on the run now. There's wanted posters of him and everywhere, and there's people trying to fucking kill him from criminals to fucking you know U.S. Marshals are trying to find Johnny Depp and kill him to get the reward. There's a reward, and. Um, Star-studded cast. You know, you have fucking uh, Robert Mitchum is in it briefly, and uh, Iggy Pop, and Billy Bob Thornton, and that dude with the long hair who's the bad guy and fucking uh, The Crow, he's in it. Okay. The guy with a really fucking awesome voice. That fucking guy. Um, He's in this, uh, you know... Uh, Alfred Molina is in it. Wonderful cast. Uh, Lance Henriksen. It's a wonderful cast. It's everything, everyone you would want to see in a 90s movie is in this. And um, basically, uh, Johnny Depp along the way has to, he gets into uh, situations where he has to fucking, he has to, uh, he has to kill to survive now. So now he's like a legit fucking outlaw and shit, but they don't play him up as like this Billy the Kid, fucking like cool gunslinging hero guy. Like he's still this nerdy, timid, afraid accountant who's like completely out of his element, has no understanding of how to survive in the wilderness and shit. So it's, it's a very not Western uh, lead character, really. And, um, Basically, the Johnny Depp ends up making it to the Pacific Ocean, and um, 
the whole time in the movie, he's mortally wounded. Like when, uh, when he was banging dude's girlfriend and then the dude killed the, his girlfriend, like he shot her and the bullet went through her and the bullet got lodged in Johnny Depp. So he's been basically slowly bleeding to death the entire movie. And by the end of the movie, he's basically succumbing to his, his wounds and his Indian friend, nobody lays him in this beautiful burial canoe and adorns him with like beads and feathers and flowers and shit. And it's like, okay, my friend, I'm going to send you out on this boat and you're going to float off in the ocean and die. Goodbye, my friend. And I don't know. Does he go to hell? Does he go to heaven? I don't, I don't know. The whole movie's black and white. It's beautifully shot. Neil Young does this solo guitar, electric acoustic soundtrack to it. That's pretty cool. And I will say people do think this movie's super boring and it is kind of boring, but like in a really Jim Jarmusch slow moving way. Cause most of Jim, if you ever heard Jim Jarmusch talk, if you ever like Jim Jarmusch doing interviews is great. He's great in interviews and he, and he, he talks very slow and methodically and he makes movies like how he talks. Which I guess makes sense if you ever heard like Martin Scorsese talks. He talks really quick. He talks very fast, very, 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 very quickly. And his movies are very frenetic and quick. And so, um, but it's, you know, it's a weird Western film and it's violent. It's funny and it's very strange. And, you know, it's a different way to look at a Western. So I bet people who love Westerns probably think this movie's stupid. <laughs> but I'm talking about it because I like Jim Jarmusch films for the most part. And uh, this one's pretty good. I mean, this one I think is, I think it is kind of boring, but I think it's, you know, it, it's also like really, really fucking good at the same time. It's weird. Uh, it's definitely one of those movies you could fucking, fu I was watching it and I, completely fell asleep watching it and then like woke back up and I, I don't for all I know the movie's four hours long I have no idea but I kind of like nodded off a few times woke up kept watching it and you know again I was nursing a fucking hangover and... dead man check it out it's great because um, sometimes you know it's it's the it's the holiday season and you know suicide rates are really high and Sometimes you don't want to watch something that's all fucking happy and shit. Maybe you don't want to watch the, the Christmas story on repeat. You don't want to watch the Christmas story marathon. Maybe you want to watch a depressing movie <laughs> that's in black and white or a movie about, uh, you know, French models fucking eating people. Maybe you want to watch that. I don't know. Well, I'm going to cut it off right there. Um, uh, I will be back in a couple of days with a new episode and uh, check out Christmas Evil. And and you can find me on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. This has been the Skeleton Factory Podcast. I am Adam, once again, rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. Till next time. Bye-bye.